0: God is dead, came the famous proclamation in the 1880s by the German philosopher Friedrich Nietzsche. In recent years, it's been taken as a rallying cry that atheism is on the rise, that we don't need God anymore. But to give the full context of what Nietzsche had to say, he said, God is dead, God remains dead, and we have killed him. How shall we comfort ourselves, the murderers of all murderers? What was holiest and mightiest of all that the world has yet owned has bled to death under our knives. Who will wipe this blood off us? What water is there for us to clean ourselves? What festivals of atonement, what sacred game shall we have to invent? Is not the greatness of this deed too great for us? Must we ourselves not become gods, simply to appear worthy of it?" Coming hundreds of years after the Enlightenment began. When man decided that through science and knowledge and philosophy, we could outgrow God, Nietzsche put the cap on all of that development to say, God is dead and we have killed him. Must we ourselves not become God simply to appear worthy of it? We live in a society filled with new priests, new authority figures, new men and women claiming to be God, claiming to be that new authority, because as we learned in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve rejected God's authority, that it doesn't matter what authority you choose when you go away from God, they will all end in destruction. And so as we see modern man and woman looking anywhere but God and his word for their authority, we see the confusion, we see the destruction, we see the rotten fruits of rejecting God's authority and deciding we in our wisdom could kill him. Welcome to Who Let the Dogma Out, where doctrine has dominion over all of life. I'm one of your hosts, Jack Wilkie, joined once again by Jacob Rutledge down in the Austin, Texas area. Daniel Mayfield in central Oklahoma. How are you guys doing today?
1: Doing good. Just drinking some American restaurant this morning. I feel like I'm going to start off every the, episode. Was, <laughs> the coffee of the yeah. week. This, yeah. a, this is a coffee, by the way
0: okay yeah, and I, it's not I sardines this week so that's a, an <laughs> improvement yeah
2: yeah doing right. good doing good uh i was thinking um you know of how the gospel uh binds us all together because we've got you know a guy in oklahoma and a guy in texas on the same podcast and are good friends you know and so
1: not without not without a great deal of struggle yeah a lot of, <laughs> of prayers said beforehand that's
0: right yeah. We will avoid college football season as a discussion point here, uh, without begins. ruffling too many feathers. <laughs> Let you it know, begin.
1: Uh, so that that actually will never be a point of contention for me because w- I'm from Minnesota.
0: Remember? Oh, okay. Yeah. So it just doesn't what, matter. Do we
1: do we even have a college football team? Yeah, you got not the, a relevant uh, one.
2: Was not, uh, the Gophers, the, right? The Badgers. The oh, Gophers? yeah, the Gophers. Yeah. Yes. Well,
0: all of our Alabama listeners are just listening, going, "That's cute. Good for you guys." Yeah. <laughs> so. Anyway, let's talk about these modern priests. We live in a society that does think God is dead, that we've killed him, that we've replaced him, very much a, a Tower of Babel mindset, that we don't need God anymore. We've got this. In fact, uh, I I don't want to go down this road just yet, but just to get the idea out there, uh, was it Dr. Fauci in recent months made the claim, I am the science. Right. And so, and we live in a world where science is God. We don't need God because we have science. You know, our atheist friends will tell us those things. And so let's talk about this, this idea that uh, we did in the previous episodes, the sufficiency and the inerrancy of scripture. The Bible is all the authority we need, but if you don't choose that, you got to look somewhere there. People, the idea of postmodernism is we don't need authority. I have my own truth, but we know that's not true deep down. So we go looking and Everywhere you look, there's going to be somebody rising up saying, "I know the way. I've I've got this figured out for you." Mm-hmm. Well, by
2: the way, what's up with these? You know, there's there's we got Nietzsche, Fauci. You know, I think that the, like that the name mm. ends in chi. That's the the. <laughs> And now I'm going to, uh, Gramsci, uh, yeah.
0: let's see, there's, wow, now you're going to have me thinking on that road, but, uh, that's what I'm know,
2: saying, man, just that's watch out saying. for those people. If there, if, if there's any Christian
0: listeners, any of our preacher friends that have that name, uh, our apologies, but <laughs> well, <laughs> we're going to be watching things, you with a skeptical eye now.
2: Exactly. Gucci. <laughs> one of the, uh, one of the things that I was thinking about um, was how easy it is, and I, I to, to conflate things when it comes to areas of, of knowledge and, and areas of, of understanding, because the whole idea is that, again, we mentioned this previously, we're not denying the, like, I think the last episode we talked about therapy, right? And it's not saying, okay, every aspect of this is wrong, but it has to have its proper place in, in relationship to revelation and relationship to scripture as Christians. So same thing with medicine, the same thing with, with science. The issue is, is that we're trying, not that science is bad, right? Science has given us a lot of good things. I mean, we're we're on a zoom call right now. So, I mean, we wouldn't have that without science and without technology. Yeah. And we're very thankful for that. But with, when science is within its proper place, when those who are um, the practitioners and promoters of science understand their role and the role of science and the role of natural um, science is not to find meaning or value, right, or even truth, right, ultimate truth, Um and I think that that's what you see in that that opening that you had there a minute ago, Jack. Uh, here, see, I'm, I'm transitioning into the into applying our opening here, but um, but but I do think that there is this idea that Nietzsche had, um, in which he's declaring that we have killed God, and in many ways, he means that literally because, of course, he did. He believed that God was a a natural essentially phenomena that, that arose from man's desire to explain nature and to explain meaning. And so now that we've come to the modern man, there's no reason to hold on to these kind of basic and mm-hmm. fundamental assumptions. We can free ourselves. We can unhitch ourselves from that. But yeah. the interesting thing was is that Nietzsche understood that there were consequences to that. You know he he understood that there it's interesting to me that in that that parable that it's a madman that's declaring that God is dead, right? The madman's the one who is um, and the madman recognized how bad this was yeah he 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 recognizes that there's some serious consequences to this, and you know I, I find that very telling. And, and you're even seeing that even more so now. You're, you're beginning to see some some evolutionists and some atheists who are trying to create a moral framework. Sam Harris. That can govern society because they realize that, man, the implications of this, you mm-hmm. know, are, you know, it's like even Richard Dawkins. There's a quote from Richard Dawkins where he says, you know, when it comes to science, you know, and when it comes to uh, Anthropology or something like that, you know. I'm an avid Darwinian. I'm an avid pro-Darwinian, but when it comes to my politics and when it comes to law, I'm an avid anti-Darwinian. You know, and it's <laughs> they, point-
1: they, yeah, they can't they can't follow the natural end of that philosophy. They can't stick with it. And it's right. where were y'all read? Did y'all read? Um, I know I I felt like I brought this up one time. Did y'all read Mary Mary Shelley's Frankenstein? No, but, I, didn't, Back in but high school. I think
2: I listened to that podcast that you told me about. Mm-hmm. Okay.
1: Well, so I actually never, I only listened to the first five minutes. I never even finished the podcast, but I went and read. I'm not finished with the book, but there was this thing that st- stood out at the beginning. The main character, he said, learn from me, if not by my precepts, at least by my example, how dangerous is the acquirement of knowledge And how much happier that man is who believes his native town to be the world than he who aspires to become greater than his nature will allow. Mm. And, you know, of course, this guy goes on and the story is going to go on to unfold how he created Frankenstein. It was it was in an attempt to create life, to, you know, uh, progress the sciences. And what he ultimately ended up making was a monster. And that's, I think, what you've got. guys like Nietzsche, these guys that completely rejected God, they they stay on the path long enough and they realize, look, we've we've created something that we can't back out of. I mean, the natural implications of it stand against everything within the heart of man, which which tells us there's some things, some deeper things, some transcendent things that science just simply can't, can't answer. And I, you know, I was reading a little bit about Sam Harris and I've watched one of his Ted talks and, you know, he's got that book about the moral landscape or however it's titled. And his whole thing is to find a scientific basis for morality, but, but ultimately um, it's going to fall short because his, his reasoning is wrapped up in this darwinian idea of survival of the fittest and he would say that look the reason why we're moral creatures the reason why we want morality is just for survival of the tribe for what's better for the tribe to keep the species uh promulgating
2: well but even even going further back than that it's it's really they try and promote it as something that's about community but mm -hmm. the only reason you're promoting community welfare is for the preservation of the individual, right? That's essentially what they say, is that we have learned that it benefits your survival. You know, this is from their perspective. We have learned that it benefits my survival if I have a tribe that is closely knit together around certain fundamental values, right? Right. Right. And so therefore it's all individualistic based, not even the survival of the community, but the survival of self. You only benefit the community for the survival of self but okay but that only goes so far because it, eventually you you have to recognize there is still no basis for objective truth because eventually it might benefit you more to have the community have different values mm-hmm. than what they presently have you know and what what happens when different communities have conflicting values right which inevitably is going to happen but yeah. all of that all of this that we're talking about and this goes back to the garden of eden that jack was talking about earlier all of this coincides with our present cultural moment where the self is sacrosanct right where where the self is the sacred the sacred and mm. an evolutionary philosophy natural you know this naturalistic philosophy i think really coincides with and undergirds a lot of the thinking of at least of, of, of Western culture at this time. Would, would you guys agree with that?
0: Well, it is, it's a philosophical train wreck it, that yeah. all of these countries, because you're talking about the, the survival of the individual and in the tribe. And as you said, the Darwinian is, if you're not cut out for survival, it's better for the tribe if you don't. So why are we focused on? Pre- and, and so uh, when people say, Oh, I just trust the science. I follow science. I believe in science. I believe in science that, that you're making it a philosophy. It's not a philosophy. It's, yep. it's a discipline, It's but it's a separate one from philosoph- or philosophy, and so many of the, the things said about it are philosophical claims, and when they don't line up, when they, they come into that train wreck, what do you do? But yeah. you look at Genesis 1 through 3, I mean, you take three pages, and you've got an entire philosophical framework of anthropology, theology, morality. All, I mean, just all of those things are built up, and yeah. with science, you start with it's kind of pragmatic what works and what doesn't trial and error. And, and it, it can't explain those things as you're saying, it can't explain morality and all that. But again, you go back to Adam and Eve when you say, okay, well, we're not going to listen to God. You're going to listen to somebody. You're going to listen to, you're going to have some authority. You're going to listen to the serpent. You're going to listen to yourself, your own desires. You know, as, as James says, we're carried away by our lust, our desires. And, and so you look at how science is being applied today, how much scientific research and, and money is being poured into gender transitioning surgery in service of self and and no question to whether is this the right thing to do? Is this a good thing to do? Should we be doing that? The, the uh, uh, Jeff Goldblum Jurassic Park question, right? <laughs> you know, your scientists were so busy trying to figure out what they could do, but they didn't stop and ask whether they should. I'm, I'm butchering the quote, but yeah. Now, yeah, now your idea of never applying philosophy to why, what is this here for? What is its purpose?
1: The, hmm. so, so Harris actually said, on page twenty-eight of his book, that science can so so this is his claim. And again, this we're we're making the point that we have given the priest the role of the priesthood, the role of um, the deeper questions of life, our our um, our origins, what we should be doing, our eschatology. We've given it to the wrong people. Well, Sam Harris, in his book, page twenty-eight, he said science can, in principle. Help us understand what we should do and should want, and therefore what other people should do and should want in order to live the best lives possible. And he's approaching that from a completely naturalistic standpoint. He's saying, look, if we can observe moral behavior, then science has something to say about it. And it never gets to the deeper area. But he so Sam here, which is is that is so disingenuous. Oh, I mean, it is. And he's, he's launching off of, so he's not the first guy. There was a guy back. I don't know if he's back in the seventies, but his, and I don't remember his first name, but his name is Skinner is his last name. Anyways, in his book, Um, Skinner argued that the criterion by which to evaluate the goodness of a cultural practice is the degree to which it promotes survival of the society. And I was thinking through that because, you know, ultimately, if that's what we're going to wrap up morality in, it becomes, it actually becomes a selfish pursuit. It's, it's my, you know, doing what's virtuous, doing what's right, doing what's good is ultimately the only reason I'm doing it is because it benefits and it aids me. And if survival of the society is the ultimate end, then what do you do with sick people? What More do you do? Minorities. With, what, what do you? Re, yeah, exactly. I mean, was wasn't that exactly the thinking behind the madman Hitler?
0: Well, when any the, totalitarian, see, I mean, any totalitarian governmental regime. When right? you look at Canada killing, I mean, euthanasia—that's been in the headlines. But you look at abortion. Okay, well, if a kid has Down syndrome, you know, we don't want them around, and and so these things start. Playing out into reality, and that's one of the biggest things why we're having a podcast like this is the ideas matter. The ideas play out in these ways. Jacob, you had something? Well, I'm glad you brought up the abortion thing because,
2: again, you you see all of these things tied together because, okay, when you have this concept of morality that's based upon the preservation of the self and supporting uh, a cohesive community in order to preserve the self – Okay, what happens? Well, then what becomes key issues is not necessarily uh, individual liberty and worth and value because you sometimes might need to sacrifice individuals for the sake of community, right? Who right. And ultimately, but what, this ties in this concept of radical environmentalism that we see within the culture today that is so sacred to the identity, particularly of the Western world, and this radical environmentalism, so what do you have there? Okay, we need to do anything that we can to preserve, um, essentially to preserve us. Interestingly enough, we, we say it's for future generations, but it's really about preserving the present community. Okay, get, even if you give, you're preserving the future community. What is the solution? Well, what is when you have this radical environmentalism that's believed, what is pushing that? Well, overpopulation is pushing that. Um, uh, technology that benefits humanity is pushing that, right? So what then do you have to do? You have to kill off, you have to cull people. You have to, and you can justify that. Why? Because it's better for the community, right? It's better for the community. Yeah, human they think community. they're being moral. moral. Right. Right. It's not, it's, not, it's not simply necessary, but it's good. Yeah. It's right. It is the right thing to do for you to promote abortion because ultimately, it's actually better for the environment if there are less people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, and also, when it comes to environmentally safe policies, now I'm not against um, discovering new technology that's better for the environment. I think that that if it aids humanity and our flourishing and it also uh, aids within um, environmental stewardship, that's great. But what often happens is, is that these inv- radical environmental policies are pushed at the expense of individual liberty and human value. Mm-hmm. And so, again, and I want you to notice, and, I'm, and I think that that Sam Harris quote is a good one, because these, these new atheists, Us calling them the new priest of the modern world, that's not something that we're placing onto them, you know, apart from their will. That is something that that. they are gladly taking that moniker Mm -hmm. upon them. They are taking that authority upon them, upon
1: themselves. Yeah, you're you're exactly right. They're, in fact, when they are envious and jealous and... They're vehement toward all religion. And their argument, I mean, Sam Harris's argument in his book is that, look, we for far too long, we have put morality and virtue and what we should do in the hands of um, these different religions, which he argues it it has been has been bad for society. It's been bad for the well-being of everybody. Religion is the bad thing. And we scientists are the ones who can take over and, you know, provide the solutions. Because so,
2: scientists because scientists have never justified anything evil <laughs> <right>. under the <laughs> guise of right. science. What are we doing right now? What a now?
1: ridiculous. Uh, exactly. What are we doing right now? Did y'all listen to Jordan Peterson's? Um, he, he wrote this piece and then he read it. I watched a YouTube clip, but he was talking about um, the transgender. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Did, did we share that in the group? Yeah, did you did. guys watch that oh my goodness when he was when he was rebuking the church he um no this one he was rebuking um doctors and medical mm. um institutions that are performing uh these uh basically just mutilating young boys and girls in the mm. sake of you know supposed progress and everything and and it was it, he was on full blast it was it was so good, but I mean, there's our, there's our, there's our priests right now. we said, look, you guys have all the answers. You guys can go do what you want, but what you end up making and bringing out of it is something that's despicable. It ruins and destroys the image of God. And, you know, they say that, look, we've got medical procedures. We We can do hormone therapies. We can change the anatomy by inverting genitals and adding genitals that were never there. I mean, it's really disgusting the things that they do. But ultimately, down on a DNA, biological level, it's still male, female. And on a mental, emotional level, the, the research has borne out that these people, after they've been supposedly, you know, uh, uh, transitioned, they're worse off. The suicide rates are higher. I mean, the the people we've given the role of priest to, honestly, they they're horrible at it. Mm-hmm. And people just need to um, we need to we need to back 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 this up and reconsider where we're putting all of our eggs because science has some answers,
0: but there's some answers in. Yeah, go uh, ahead. Yeah. I was going to jump in and say, uh, about, well, let, let's talk about how this affects Christians. Cause I think a lot of Christians would sit and say, well, you know, I, I of course I'm against the transgender surgeries or whatever else, but the way this, this kind of gets its hooks into the Christian mind and turns us away from the Bible. Uh, there, there's a lot of compromise because th- that's one of the, the real tactics in the world today is Christians are stupid. Christians are anti-science Christians are anti-progress. Uh, mm-hmm. you're just a bunch of caveman kind of thing. And so let's, let's talk about that briefly. Cause we're going to move on to some of the other priests that we have. I mean, we could do all day on science because of how abused it's become. Uh, like I said, I, I really do believe it's kind of the new tower of Babel of just telling God, no, we we've got this figured out and we're going to outsmart you. Um, mm-hmm. and, and we know how that ends. Um, right. But how does this affect the average Christian in the pew?
2: Well, I think one of the ways is that
0: I, was, I remember reading um,
2: Stone Street and Kunkel have a book on. Um, that sounds like a music duo. Like, does. Does that, like every time Line I thought- <laughs> yeah. or Gar- yeah. Yeah. Stone yeah. Street and Kunkel have a book on culture. I forget the exact name. Oh, I think it's like a practical guide to culture. I did a class on it. It's really good, but one of the things they talked about, and I think actually this might have been a quote from C.S. Lewis, but I'm not sure. It's really good, so it probably came from C.S. Lewis. But essentially, it says culture's power, uh, culture, culture's power is in what it is able to essentially push as normal. So that that is culture's power is what it is able to to declare as normative, right? Mm-hmm. And so I I think that this affects the church because the church is being greatly impacted by the nations around them, right? So we are raised with certain values and ideals simply by living in the culture that we do of things that are considered normative, right? So, for example, um, how many of us now are just automatically trained and again i'm not saying that this in and of itself is necessarily bad but it does show me the 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 uh, the power of culture how many of us are automatically trained to recycle okay to recycle plastics to recycle cardboard like we like we have a recycle bin you know we have a garbage bin Oklahoma. yeah yeah
0: <laughs> <laughs> you got to well, pay for it
2: no comment uh no but uh, no uh, you know but we have a recycle bin we have a garbage bin you know I, I, I don't even think about it. Like now, if I see a can, I put it in the recycle bin, right? Whereas in the past, you would just consider it all garbage, right? Mm-hmm. For a lot of people, that's normative now to think in terms of, okay, something being recycled and reused and something being you know thrown away. That's just a small example of how things that in past generations would not have been considered normative are now considered normative. Now, some of that can be good or bad. But the reality is, is that people who are in places of power, people mm-hmm. who are in places of influence, people who have an immense um, uh, influence over the education of future generations are promoting ideals as normative. Mm-hmm. Like, look how much – you go back to the transgender thing. Look how much that is that, – how hard the, 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 the culture is trying to promote that as normative, right? Not as aberrant but as, listen, this is something that is completely normal. And right. therefore, you know, why are they doing that? Why aren't they, why are we no longer view, viewing that as aberrant behavior? You know, that, yeah. that is an exception because they understand, and it's the same thing they did with homosexuality. Uh, it's the same thing they did with divorce yeah. uh, when it came to n- normalizing activities that future or past generations viewed as something that should not be normalized. Not to say that it didn't happen. Right. Not just to say that 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 it didn't have to be engaged with when it did happen, but trying to push it across as normal. And the church right. is greatly influenced by that. And I know that for a fact, because when I have gotten up at our congregation and I've preached on homosexuality and I've preached on transgenderism, I undoubtedly know and have had high schoolers be offended by some of the things that I have said. And yeah. you guys know me. I'm not. I'm not an overly, you know, uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, aggressive guy when it comes to the pulpit. I don't feel like it, but I mean, I say what needs to be said, but, you know, and it doesn't matter. They're still offended by that. It's like, well, why are these high schoolers who Bible class every Sunday, yeah. you know, their, <clears throat> their, their families are very involved. And yet at the same time, they still struggle with like hearing the actual truth of God. Because, because why they've because been taught that their whole life but that's not normative for them from what they're no, being they're hearing,
1: no like cuz like every single thing they're hearing you know we, they may get an hour in church a week they're getting they're getting an hour of uh, you know um, biblical diet but they're getting how how many hours a day on TikTok Instagram yeah. how many hours a day in you know a public edu- education institution that's promoting darwinian theory and, you know, you talk about ways that this is affecting us. Um, I think you're exactly right. We've made it. We, we said, look, this is what's normal. And we've made and then because we're born into the world and it's normal for us because it's all we've ever known. We lose historical context. We lose the way that people thought forever. And we think we are the ones that have all the answers or we think this is the way it's always been. One of the things that I, I've been chewing on a bit lately, and this is. Compl- I, I really don't know if this is exactly what happened, but have you guys, first of all, y'all, y'all know John Piper mm-hmm. desiring God, um, up in, uh, at Beth- Bethlehem Baptist church in, um, Minnesota. You have y'all, have you watched Jacob, any of his, um, TikToks uh, of his son, Abraham Piper? Oh, uh, I, yeah, I've, I've seen, well, I don't know if I've ever actually watched a full one, but I've read about them. Okay. Well, well, I mean, he's, he's completely rejected christianity right he's secular humanist whatever and the thing that's interesting is so so abraham piper has really like picked up a lot of steam because his dad's super super well known and so now the son of this uh you know central evangelical voice the son is now on TikTok and he's he's blasting the church he's blasting biblical perspectives and i've noticed over the past month there have been two articles that have come out on desiring god that give that, that at least that give credence to or viability to in old earth perspective and are saying you can be christian and hold to the old earth perspective you can reject those first few chapters of genesis And I was, I was thinking, how, how did this one voice, this one, you know, I'm putting in quotes here, but this one Christian voice, uh, shift on this issue. Well, there's a, there's an emotional, um, component here. There's a son in the family. There's somebody who's looking at the teaching as outdated and as silly. And what's he now? I've, I mean, I've never seen John Piper go down this path and now two articles in the past month that are essentially saying you do not have to embrace the historicity of Genesis one to three. I mean, that's how the church is being effective, being affected. Our kids are learning these things. They're going down this path. And then we're trying to say, Hey, look, we're not, we're not dumb. We'll, we'll go along with that.
2: Right. And we've talked about that before, how like you're really presented with two different worldviews and the synchronism of those two worldviews is not, like and neither neither one, neither individuals or neither groups rather who bel- actually believe their views want there to be a, a syncretism. Uh, but it's like, okay, why why do you have to have evolution in the first place? Well, it's an attempt to explain how humanity came to be apart from special creation, right, right. I, I mean, that's really why it's there. I mean trying yeah. trying try, and even if even even if you say okay well you know Darwin had some some past christian beliefs which he which he did but he struggled with that but at the end of the day he was still trying to explain a naturalistic way in which you get to humanity
1: so and our ori- so, go ahead so our origins are uh ha- have have been put forth by Darwin and our eschatology has been um, put forth by a 12 year old girl from Europe. All right, <laughs> a child shall yeah. lead them, Daniel. A child shall lead them. <laughs> uh, I mean, when you actually, when you actually stop to break it down, like Darwin didn't know anything about the cellular level. He did. He didn't know anything that we know now. He he just posited. Here's my here's my idea. And now everything that we said, we're like, oh, ah, yeah, he he actually didn't quite know what he was talking about, but we're going to still stick with the main script.
0: Jack, what were you- yeah, it just gave them, you know, an out from God, because I think I've said before, before, you know, that and and he was not the only one, but he's the, the big name, of course. But, you know, mid 1800s before that, they were deists. OK, well, there is a God, but he, he doesn't really care about our lives. Well, now they've got a thing where they don't even need a God. So we, we've got it figured out. And between the two science and, and the Bible, it's an uh, uh, an authority struggle. And so if you see this ground, okay, well, we, we've got to let the Bible defer to science on these things because the Bible's outdated. The Bible isn't accurate. The Bible, uh, we talked about sufficiency and inerrancy. Mm-hmm. Then you've got it to where science can tell the Bible what it can and cannot say. Right. And then you can use science to bring in transgender and homosexual, all, all of these values. And one other one I want to bring up before we get into this, how many churches asked Fauci and Burks and, and the whole COVID oh. regime? what should we do before they ask God, what should we do? Is it you know, okay? Well, if we, the science says this, well, what did God ask you to do? What well, what's the commandment from God first, but because we put the scientific consideration first, right? That shows what we, what we understand about the authority structure is that if science speaks, the Bible has to sit down and, and take a seat and, and let it speak, which is, it's
1: which like, is shown to, which is shown the other way you, around. Right. You're exact. You're exactly right. And it's been shown after two years now that, their their driving points were can i say they were a farce everything one one of the two is fallible
0: here you know i mean the bible is not the fallible one mankind because that's the other thing is the science is infallible you know you can't question science well like isn't science about questioning and hypotheses and testing and trial and error and all these things whereas i think that was doesn't change
2: right I, i think that was the difference from pat from the past where um like you know I, I there's I'm not a scientist, so there's a lot that I don't know, and we depend upon the scientists to under, scientists to understand. Them. I mean, we have Christian scientists that we know, and we who are much more knowledgeable than we are in certain areas of life, and we we trust to a degree some of what they're they're telling us about things because I I don't have a discipline in that, I don't understand that, but there are points where Scripture comes into conflict with what the priesthood of the present modern world are trying to promote. And the question is at that moment, okay, when there is an obvious conflict, which one are you going to give more credence to? Well, in the past, I think that many within the church prior to the, um, prior to the modern liberal uh, movement within Christianity in the past, um, biblical scholars would say, okay, um, if there's a conflict between, faith and what i see in the naturalistic world i'm going to trust in scripture because scripture is special revelation it's intended to articulate truth and so obviously in my fallen reasoning and my fallen view of trying to perceive the natural world i'm not seeing something right
0: because it's conflicting with
2: so bb warfield said that bb warfield talked about that at one point where he was saying listen you know if there's a conflict between scripture and between science then it must be my perception of what science is saying, because scripture, because uh, science is trying to interpret God's natural, uh, general revelation, which is right. not as which is not as articulate and particular as God's special revelation. And so, and, I I have to then within those two, and I think that that's what we're trying to say. We're not trying to say okay, reject science. We're trying to say no. But when when science, supposed science, comes into conflict with scripture. When there's an intersection there and they come into conflict, as Christians, as people of faith, it's our responsibility not to give ground immediately to a modern mindset that is promoting an anti-God philosophy in every corner that it can find, but to push back and to say, you know what? I might not can exactly explain everything, articulate, but I'm going to do everything I can to defend and promote uh, revelation and to defend and promote scripture.
1: And I, I think that one of the things that you see when we have, and I, I'm glad you you made that point because absolutely we're not rejecting science. That it, this is God's, you know, Romans one says that we come to know the divine power of God, and you know all of these attributes of Him by looking at the natural world, and the the scientific revolution was spurred by scientists who held this perspective. They realized. The natural order of things was put in place by God. So right. Galileo and Newton and Bacon and all those guys, they didn't reject scripture and they didn't see any conflict at all. They saw these things as cohering and that God could come in and could could reorder it, you know, as he um, as he so chose. So I'm glad you you made that point that we're, we're not rejecting it. But but I do think that when we've made and I know we're about to move on from the scientist's priest aspect but when we've made the scientist the priest i think my input in the covid issue in particular we've we've now seen how many things over the past two years have they had to backpedal because they were because they were too hasty in the the applications the
0: science change has become the catchphrase right Uh, science science yeah
1: exactly and because those are our priests we just keep going along with them oh okay well They've they've literally shown themselves. I mean, there's a test for prophets in the Old Testament that if what they say comes to pass, then, you know, it's it's a true prophecy. But if what they say doesn't come to pass, it's not reject them, run away from them, have nothing to do with them. And yet these I think what we've done is we've taken legitimate science and we've put it into the hands of people that really have a, a cultural push and they have a lot of funding and then they put it under this umbrella term of science without actually um putting their theories and ideas to a scientific standard of of uh research and study and um you know the scientific method. A, a right. lot of what we call science actually isn't science. It's just people with a cultural push that 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 hate God that are going to use that term because they know people will accept it.
0: I think that's what we, we really have to get across to people is how religious this stuff is, how religiously motivated it is because they don't have a religious philosophy. And so they're mapping that and using science as a vehicle to drive a religious philosophy. And so then when people say, I believe in science and not religion, or we've got these youth group kids, you know, saying, well, I can't believe that thing you're teaching because I, I believe in science. You know, you're believing a religious philosophy that's using science as a facade but it right. just doesn't hold up. And so it really does affect Christians. Let's talk about a couple more before we get out of here. Um, you put on the outline, I, I think this is really an important one, is news media. You know What we watch, we, we farm out our decision making, our, our worldview toward the headlines, the six o'clock news. Uh, a lot of people don't watch the, the TV news anymore. They don't watch CNN or Fox or, or whoever else. They get it online. And so we've, we've got all these authority figures that we're looking to, to tell us what to think about the world and I, I love the the claim people always say you know the the news used to just tell you how it was and let you decide what you think about it but now they tell you what to think it no not We've not really told you what to think they've always told you what to think i mean and, and you can look the history books are still that way you know telling you it was this way or that way um but we again in the same way we farm out a portion we compartmentalize religion stays here worldview news, you know, processing the world around us. We'll listen to these guys. Science will listen to these guys. And rather than placing the Bible at the top and making everything we see on the news or or read about online, go through that filter. So let's, let's talk about that a little bit. And and especially how it has affected the church. I'll, I'll say my view on this real quick and then let you guys run with it. I've said before, I wrote this recently. I think when you look at the way the church is dividing over the last few years, you can legitimately draw the line at agrees with CNN or disagrees with CNN. Mm-hmm. Now, agrees with CNN is a broad spectrum of views, but just generally believe the way they present the world. Disagrees right. with CNN doesn't necessarily mean a Fox newer, but a viewer it means a few different strands of this. But it's I don't see the world that way. I do see the world this way. And you you look at the race narratives, the political narratives, the COVID narratives, the uh, economic narratives. Mm-hmm. You're on one side of that or the other, and it's really splitting the church, depending on which gurus, which authorities we listen to.
2: Mm. Well, as a huge promoter of CNN, I take great offense at that. Um, <laughs> are you are
0: you still mourning the loss of uh, Brian Stelter's show?
2: <laughs> oh, greatly, greatly. Yeah. Listen, I grew up in a home where they called CNN the Communist News Network, so. <laughs> Uh, you know, I I no love lost uh, between. Uh, but I I do think there is this um, you know, it's really alarming to me how I don't know, and I've seen preachers do this, like in Jack, you and I have talked about this, where it's like, okay, you know, decrying the the um the many different ways that people can get news and get information. Now I will say, you know, it does open the door for some conspiratorial. I just got a text from somebody this morning that was like, wow. Okay. This, this is obviously fallacious, but they're believing it. But at the same time uh, this kind of push to just simply trust, right. Just, just trust these uh, big name media corporations and just allow them to, you know, to determine your truth. And it's like, what i don't i don't get that like i don't understand that number one who even watches the news anymore i I don't even i don't even watch the news um you know uh just but for those who do it's like to 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 believe that to believe that highly emotional highly volatile situations can be deciphered in a way that is unbiased is just very naive to me, you know, I, I, it's just very naive and, and you see this with a variety of different things that happen but specifically in, in relationship to racial issues. There's a particular narrative that's assumed in our culture about race and that goes back to some of the critical race theory stuff that we've, we talked about in the previous episode. There's assumptions that are made and there's a particular narrative that is supposed to be pushed. And if you don't push that particular narrative, you're not going to be given a, 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 a platform. Um, and so, uh, you know, these are the, I, I wish we could find, would have thought of a good metaphor beforehand, as far as, you know, if the scientists are the priests, then the, you know, the media or the altar boys or something, you know, I, I don't know, but, uh, something along those lines, the veil that keeps you from seeing what the priests are doing maybe.
1: Yeah, I, I, I don't have much to add to what you guys said when it comes to media, other than that um, Christians are, you know, I, I always think if if you've got a, if you have a, a a vessel and you're pouring into it, like you've got this little tiny stream of clear water and the other side is, is mud or is, you know, gasoline or something poisonous, you know. The vessel, if you're if you're predominantly being filled up with this other stuff that is, uh, you know, secular in origin, um, anti-God in a lot of ways, what what how do we think that's going to affect our our person? This isn't just news. This is music that we're listening to, movies that we're watching, any really anything that we consume by way of media. Media is just, you know what, what we visually and audibly bring into our person, those things are shaping us. No, no matter what they're, they're shaping us. And in um, first John chapter four, John said, look, do not believe every spirit. And why not? And he said, you need, you need to put them to the test. And he goes on to say, because there are many false spirits that he he goes on to say are anti Christ. They are against Christ, and they exist in the world, and they're all around you. I mean, he uses yeah. the word spirit because spirit is like it's in the air we breathe. Mm-hmm. It's just what we consume. It's what we bring in. It's uh, it it almost it really is that way. Uh, there are actual demonic spiritual forces behind the scenes that are working through. Uh, different media platforms, and the whole purpose is steer steer the Christian off course, derail that you know the um, that vessel that is uh, headed in the right direction. Um,
2: I like that application of First John four. I've been I've been preaching through First John, and I think that's a good application of that. You know, because I think we think of that strictly in relationship to the church. Like, you know, false prophets that are trying to come into the church. But I think that's just a general principle that John's saying is like, you need to be careful about who you give a voice of authority to in your life. It's not it's not it's not making yourself the ultimate authority. That's not the point. It's not saying, well, Jacob gets to determine what is right and what is wrong. But it is saying that if you're trusting that God is the ultimate authority and his word is the ultimate authority, you need to. You need to just be careful about who you give any type of teaching authority specifically right. into your life and into your heart. And just n- not rejecting all authority, but yeah. being discerning about right. who you're giving
1: credence to. How, how may, yeah, because how many of these um, m- media outlets – because, I mean, just think about where our movies come from. Look at the people that produce those movies. Yeah, and the—I mean—look at the people that produce our music. Listen to Billie Eilish. Listen to any popular music. Even listen to Christian music. You know, it's a—it's a, it's a multi-million-dollar um, uh, industry that is basically intended to make money. So it even peddles a Christian message that I'm starting to sway, ba- Daniel. At bet
0: ba- <laughs> just listen. at best.
1: <laughs> yeah. At, at best is, is, uh, you, Hey, get out, get out your cell phone, cell phone light <laughs> that at best is superficial, but a lot of times, even in the theology is destructive media. You know, these, how many of these are antichrist. And one of the things that John says is you may know that a spirit is from God. If they would confess that Jesus is, is the Christ who has come in the flesh. And there's a lot that's baked into that, but the central idea there is that, that Jesus came his presence continues on because he uses a perfect tense of that verb and he is the reigning King and they recognize themselves to be subject to that. Um, I, I just, I don't, I don't know if we realize how much we're being affected and shaped in our thinking just by consuming these things. And well, mm
0: -hmm. as a preacher, the last couple of years, I mean, how much of what we've had to do has been dealing with these notions that people walk into the church building with of, you know, COVID race, all all the hot button things like they've been told, here's what you're supposed to think about this on one side or the other. The agrees with CNN doesn't agree with CNN. If we're using that line, And then they come into the church building with that. And then we've got almost like re-educate them through the biblical lens because they've asked first their favorite news anchor, their favorite website, their favorite social media personality. What should I think about this without asking God? And so in the same thing that we do with science, we let science speak first and then tell the Bible to subjugate itself to what science, the science and scientists have told us. Mm-hmm. we're letting the news and, and these media the all, all these things that we're taking in disciple us and then we're letting the Bible fill in the gaps elsewhere rather than starting with the Bible and and filtering everything through and you know there's this uh, uh, lady uh, funny name her name is Phyllis tickle and uh, she 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 push the theory about every 500 years there's a major change in authority you know the fall of rome and augustine rising up and the, the the papacy the the schism uh 500 years after that the reformation 500 years after that and now we're in another one in this age of the internet of you know the this the institutions are kind of collapsing and trust in them is is uh falling apart and you know jacob you mentioned the yeah. the preachers who kind of decry Oh, there's just, uh, you know, so much loss and of of trust in authorities and institutions and people are finding their stuff everywhere. And it's like, you know what? A certain news personality whose name gets censored online, so I'm not going to say his name. He said that Sandy Hook wasn't real. That's really ridiculous. That's really bad. The New York Times lied us into multiple wars. Why should one institution like, oh, let's just trust them blindly versus and so. I, the the proliferation of outlets and, and authorities is a good thing, but it's leading to even more division of take your pick. There's this <clears> gigantic <throat> spectrum. And now we as the church are having to clean up after that. Right. Which by the way, I, you know,
2: I, this might even be a whole nother episode, but I think that the question that comes after that is, okay, how does the church reclaim authority? Like how does the church reclaim moral authority within the lives of, the, of, of the members, you know, and, and within, within ourselves and within the culture. Right. And I think one of the ways that you see over and over and over again, that scripture focuses on is like, you, you really need to reclaim your devotion to personal holiness Mm -hmm. and conduct, you know? And it's like, one, that's one of the things that I'm like, you have all these churches and I've thought about this even with our church, you know, with any church, you know, that are so focused on like growing the church and like um, reaching the lost and, you know, or, or these mega church movements. And it's like, man, you, you need to get your house straight before you bring anybody into this. Like you need to recommit yourself to holiness and to godly living because I mean, there's a serious issue with that. in the church right now It's like, what if the church was like, you know what, we're just going to, Over the next ten years, we're just really going to commit ourselves to being a holy people, to holding to holding each other accountable. You, I, I I, I can almost guarantee you, you would have more converts in that ten-year period than you
1: probably had had in decades. You know. What about your evangelism, Jacob? Right. Yeah. Yeah. You're. I think. I actually think you're hitting an extremely important point, because. In Matthew five, when Jesus is talking about being the light to the world, that's oftentimes where our our mind goes is I need to be the light to the whole world. I'm going to go be you know, I'm going to go send my 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 missionary over to Africa and we're going to do these big, giant macro things to be a witness for Jesus. But Jesus said he, he said, you're the light to the world. Nobody in a city set on a hill can't be hidden. And he says, nobody takes a lamp and puts it under a basket in a house. So he actually, you know, he showed the order of operations that leads to being light to the world, starting in the home, moving to the city, then moving out to the world. And that is exactly where it begins. There needs to be a commitment and a devotion To what am I doing in my house? I mean, that's one of the things that I've honestly been convicted as a man and as a minister over the past couple of years is just getting myself in order in the way that I relate to my wife, the way that I relate to my kids, the way that I even relate to my own vessel, being disciplined, you know, getting up earlier, uh, eating well taking control of the one vessel god actually gave me control over and using my influence in the immediate sphere where i dwell and if you do that and then you start building within your home you're creating a little mini culture that is actually able to emanate a degree of light that's going to that's that's going to pass on and i think that has
2: an immense amount of influence within the culture where we are right because people would be able to look at your life as a Christian and, and even outsiders and be able to say, you know what, I don't know if I understand how they reconcile maybe some of the stuff with science that I've believed in the past and blah, 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 you know, but I'm seeing something in them that I know is genuine, that, that yeah. I know that I want, that I know that's real. And that draws them in to where it's like, okay, we're going to figure out this other stuff as we go along, but, you know, that's what they, they see the evidence of the fruit in your life it's like okay. I see what this over here is producing, mm-hmm. and I see what they are producing. Right, and that's what I want. Yeah, what, um, that's what I long for.
1: Why would Peter say "always ready"? It was Peter, right? Always ready to give an account. Yeah,
2: First Peter three fifteen. Yeah, for the
1: hope that is within you. What are they seeing? What are they witnessing? Well, obviously they're witnessing somebody who has something internal that didn't come from a secular mainstream de- demonic uh, media outlet. It came from somewhere that provided something of substance and transcendence and goodness that would make them say, hmm, I want that. And here's, here's I think, a, an important transition point uh, or a good transition place is you talk about, Jack, this, that was a great Point about this every 500 years we're we're in the age of the internet now and i i do think that people are while there is a huge adherence to all of these big media platforms people are realizing just like the confusion that came after babel people are I, i think experiencing that to a degree and they're turning to guys uh secular prophets like jordan peterson who is saying some really great things. He's he's speaking some coherent and basic truths that I think are um that are true to what we would experience within natural revelation and you have tons of young men that are turning to him. And I think man, what has the church been doing? What have we been preaching for the past 50 years that we would be left without a voice and we would and people would be turning to somebody like Jordan Peterson who himself uh, is not yet a Christian.
0: Go, you, you think about you know, why there's, there's a need for that. It's because the church has not said these things because the church has not stood up and, and said truths that are uh, kind of difficult to hear at first, but need to be heard. And then you've got somebody that will stand up and say it. And people, like you said, just flock to them because it's true. It's, it's real. It's, it's testable. It's it's something that you can live out, um, you know, about taking personal responsibility, about uh, improving yourself, about and, and everything you guys just said, cleaning up your own house. You know, his thing is make your bed, clean your room uh, mm-hmm. and and how much change that brings about, because uh, we got to kind of wind down here. Uh, I mean, because we could go into the gurus like Peterson and and there's some far worse ones out there that we could bring up as well. But then the credentialism, you know, people looking to PhDs. I mean, just there's so many modes of authority where people are looking, but where all of this starts that led to the God is dead moment was rejection of the authorities that were in place. And a, largely because the abuses that were there, you go yeah. back to the Magna Carta right. and the 1200s, the first time of like, Hey, we've got rights too. You can't do whatever you want. And that, you know, leading up to the, the reformation of, Hey, the papal abuses and the, the indulgences and all the crazy things that were going on mm. that led people to go, yeah, that isn't right. And then that leads to everybody going, but I'll figure it out for myself. And so when that authority is abused, when it's not lived out, right, when uh, when religious authority is being used to enrich oneself and then you see all you know the, the scandals that get held up as religious things. Mm. And so uh, the best way to reclaim authority is to show a life that is consistent with what we we say that we hold to. And so you bring up a Jordan Peterson, even with him, you look and it's like, man, is your life really, you know, in, in order? And, but yeah. what he's saying is true. And so even right. just saying truths right grants you authority but imagine if we said biblical truths and lived them in a way that that shined that light like you guys are talking about that's right. how you can start to speak authoritatively because i think that's one of the other things we said in the first episode when you say dogmatic everyone goes oh i don't want to be dogmatic <laughs> the church needs to be dogmatic and and it's it's way forward the only way forward is to start being dogmatic right in a world that's seeking authority everywhere we have to be able to say we've got it not because i'm great because god is right because this word is sufficient and inerrant and everything we've talked about has led to this point of you don't have to subject yourself to scientists to media personalities to phd there's things we can learn from all of these people but what it boils down to is god's word is the final authority and so uh we're we're hitting our time limit here i think we're going to wrap on that one start with the bible Always start with the Bible. Be dogmatic about the things God is dogmatic about. Let doctrine have dominion over all of life. Do you guys have any final thoughts as we get out of here? The only
1: thing, minor thing that I'd add to that is I think that we're seeing a big, I've been seeing it trending, just a big push in being involved in our communities and in our local sphere. And it goes back to what Jesus said in Matthew five, but we really need to become people that those in our sphere of influence. Stop thinking about, you know, the people that are across the country or across the world. Not that we, I mean, we need to have an emphasis there as well, but start trying to um, be people who have that voice of authority where it's actually going to be effective and where we're on the ground, Mm -hmm. where we see the issues and where we can speak into those situations. So whatever that means, I mean, we could probably talk forever about it, but we need to start locally. Start in the in in the self. Move into the family. Move to neighborhood. Move to city, um, and to church. And and uh, I think that's what we're gonna. Hit
2: yeah, our instead side. of the, it's the they said of, uh, of of Jesus that the common people heard him gladly. Right, uh, the common man uh, was was willing to listen to him because they saw he genuinely cared that he offered something that they were looking for that was true and real. And that's what the church has to reclaim in order to reseed ourselves as a place of, uh, that, that people can turn to for meaning, for purpose,
0: uh, and for the abundant life that's offered through Christ. Absolutely. All right. We're going to wrap right there. As always, make sure you have subscribed on your podcast feed or YouTube or wherever you're getting this. And especially leave us a rating. If you're enjoying the show, uh, help spread the word, uh, share on Facebook, social media, wherever you'd like, help us get the word out. Uh, if you're enjoying the show and, and, uh, we'll be back next week with, uh, I think that'd be episode five. Now we're already just kind of moving right along. So, uh, thanks for joining us on Let the Dog Out.